welcome to the Track Nerds discussion of the best movies of 2018. With me today is my friend Cody Giefer, who actually just informed me this morning that he only watched about 13 movies uh, to come up with a top 10 list of the year. But don't worry, you, you won't be disappointed. Uh, Cody is never lacking in opinions. So rest assured, if you have a thing, Cody has an opinion on it. So I, I don't anticipate any, any problems uh, with his lack of movie viewing there. Cody, how's it going? Good. How are you? Uh, first of all, first <laughs> here we go. Here we go. Would, first of all, I would like to say congratulations to Tom Brady and oh. the New England Patriots on their sixth Super Bowl win. Okay. Okay. You just uh, we just lost half our view. Actually, we just lost eighty <laughs> percent of our viewers <laughs> or listeners. I guess no one's viewing our podcast right now. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Cody. Although, yes, I was rooting for the Patriots too. Don't hate me, everybody. So, uh, so the first thing, I, uh, second thing, after, I guess, the Patriots, which is always how a conversation with you starts, <laughs> regardless of the time of year. So, Criteria, what, what do you do when you're deciding how to sort movies, especially when you get movies that are just completely different types of movies, what kind of criteria do you apply when you're trying to actually put a ranking to them each? So, you said I only saw 13, which is true, and... To me, it was uh, basically I was on goldderby.com and saw which ones I thought were going to be nominees, so I wanted to get all of those done. I did not watch every nominee, but we'll get into that. So to me, it's just I don't know that much about like cinematography and like how uh, scenes are and things like that. So me, it's just basically how I like the movie. Like if I just how much of my um, attention did it bring? Like how invested in the movie was I? Right. So that's kind of how I rank them. So you're not looking at film craft per se, just just the gut visceral reaction that you got. Did it make you laugh? Did it make you cry? Just the impact it had on you personally. Which again, I mean, I guess I do too, but I, I know sometimes there'll be a movie like, I don't know, what if something like, oh man, that made me tear up, but it was kind of a tough watch and I don't necessarily want to rewatch it. How would you deal with something like that? Would you still rank it high if it got you to tears or would you be like, yeah, I never want to see it again. So it's ranked lower. No, I don't really. That stuff kind of doesn't bother me. I okay. Well, I'll rewatch it if it was tough. I mean, there was. I mean, there's scenes in movies that are a little tough, but I can kind of get over those. Okay, fair enough. Let's uh, let's go ahead. Oh, so what I did, I kind of do a combination. So it is basically how much I like it. I don't want. I don't want to be like I'm being super uh, film snobby. Although I'm sure some things are gonna come up on this list that you're gonna groan at, but <laughs> I do try to go off of my yeah my reaction how how much i like it and what i even kind of specifically i feel like i have to narrow it down even more than that so what i really did this year and i've done it in the past is to what degree would i recommend it to myself if i hadn't seen any movies this year so basically number one is if you don't watch anything else watch this one yeah i like that and knowing my own tastes and everything here's what i would most recommend to myself and then the second most and the third most i've done it i've done it other years where I kind of look at it, if you had to delete every movie from 2018, which one would you save? Which I think is actually a slightly different answer, depending on the year. But yeah, that, that's kind of how, how I approached it. I mean, I, so I do, if it's uh, poor filmmaking, well, then I'm not going to like it anyway. So, and just because it's good filmmaking, it might bore me and I might not be that into it. So yeah, Bill, uh, Bill Simmons does not your dad, but the other one understood, uh, does something similar to that where, He's like, how like for best picture winners, how are we gonna think of this movie in ten years? And if it's not one that is a quote rewatchable, then it probably shouldn't have won Best Picture. Good examples are the last two uh, Oscars. 
Yeah, and and I've listened to a lot of his stuff uh, on movies too, and I promise I don't necessarily agree with his take a lot of the time. Like I agree with the rationale, but not the conclusion he's he's drawn from that. So let's go and get started. And I do want to say the other the other ground rule we, we had mentioned, but I want to explain it to anybody listening is that because there'll be inevitable inevitable overlap here, there's gonna be movies in your top ten that are in my top ten, and vice versa. So. If we're going to dive deep on any movie or actually discuss it more than just mentioning its title, let's do it the second time, second time it comes up. So if your number 10 is my number 5, when you say your number 10, I'll just say, I got it later, and we'll move on. And then we'll get into it when we're talking about it for the second time. Okay. Does that kind of make sense? Or if my term... T- if yeah. I, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess you didn't see my number 10, so we can just talk about it <laughs> right then. Okay. So uh, who go, who goes first? Uh, you want to do your number 10 first or should uh, I do mine first? I'll do my 10 because I know it's going to be higher up on your list and we'll talk about it later. Fair enough. Okay. What's your number 10? All right. Roma. Okay. I do have that later in the list. <laughs> so let's uh, – yeah, spoiler alert. And we'll do all our uh, honorable mentions at the end. But I do, have, I do have Roma farther up in my top 10. My number 10 is Can You Ever Forgive Me with uh, Melissa McCarthy. Did you happen to see that one? Ooh. You are wrong there because I did see it. Nice. Is it further up on your list? And no, it is not. And I told you I saw it. Well, I know, but I don't remember. I don't remember the thirteen movies you saw. I didn't. I, didn't, <laughs> I could scroll back through our our miles and messages and find it. But uh, yeah. So I I did really like this one. I always tend to have a a soft spot for movies about writers, and I just kind of feel like I empathize with them more to a certain degree. Even though obviously this woman that she plays in the film is uh is is nothing like me. Any particular reasons it didn't quite make your top ten when you only had three other movies to beat? I enjoyed the movie. It just wasn't really for me. I didn't. I wasn't that captivated by it. One thing that I really liked though is since it was Melissa McCarthy, whenever she made a joke. It actually felt genuine because she's a hilarious person. Yes, even though her character, I mean, it's very dry sense of humor. Not You think of Melissa McCarthy being big and boisterous. This character is very uh, subdued. Yeah, so when she gives one of those jokes, it, I felt like it hit really well because she's Melissa McCarthy. Okay, nice, nice. It, for, for me, at least. It, it just like a lot of times when like a serious actress tries to make a joke in a movie, it just for me, it doesn't hit that well. Interesting. But in this movie, it did because of who she is, and I think she's... She's up there with Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. Gotcha. So even if you weren't a big fan of the movie, you would probably agree with her getting nominated for Best Actress. Yeah. Okay. And uh, for those who don't know, it's basically she plays an author who's uh, down her luck, basically, you know, has had some semi-hits in the past, but not enough to, you know, keep making a living off of. So as she's struggling and can't get, you know, can't get her next book finished or even, you know, get her agent to even return her phone calls, she kind of stumbles into the idea of forging letters from famous authors of the past. So there's like this high end collector's market where people are paying like hundreds, if not thousands of dollars to have like a uh, F Scott Fitzgerald letter that he sent to his great aunts or something. And they've somehow, you know, got this from the estate and these things uh, go for sale. So she starts forging these at first. I think she actually sells some, she actually had on hand that were legit. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And then she gets into just forging them. And again, she's a writer, so she's having fun being creative with it and coming up with, you know, new ways to sound like these famous authors that sound genuine to their voice, which gives it a little more flavor, which increases the value. And this is all based on a true story. This author actually did this. And it's just very, very interesting. And then, of course, the, I guess you would say, the other shoe drops. And she, she, I mean, spoiler alert to some degree, she gets caught. And there's the fallout from all that. And 
again, just really well done. Like you even agreed with me, the the acting is great. Her co-star, who's another down down on his luck guy, who just can't seem to get his life under control, even even worse off than she is, basically. But you know, he, well, because uh, drugs drugs will do that. True, true. She's uh, basically sober, and he's uh, he's kind of always yeah. strung out. Yeah. So, but anyway, uh, uh, good movie. I enjoyed it. It was my number ten of the year. So let's go to your number nine. Uh, my number nine was the favorite, which I have one spot farther up. So we'll put a pin in that for now. Okay. My number nine is actually the last movie I watched. Remember, I said I was waiting for Shoplifters to come out. Oh yeah. Uh, oh, did it come to which show? Or, or did was it DVD? I watched it on. I rented it on Amazon, but I don't think it was even available until Tuesday. And we're recording on on Thursday, the fourteenth. Happy Valentine's Day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, last movie I watched with this war season in mind, and I was even kind of hopeful it would make my list. I mean, I, I was, I mean, I, my 10 and then the couple movies that got bumped, I, I was okay with them being in the top 10, but I was kind of waiting for something, maybe you know, even a foreign film like this that could kind of cross that threshold and would just kind of really, really hit me. And early on, I didn't think this was going to do it. So, it's called Shoplifters. It's uh, it's a Japanese film, and it's about a group of people who live together, but they're not exactly a family, even though they're all ages and would look like a family to anybody looking in from the outside. So, like, there's the grandmother, the middle-aged couple who's not necessarily married, but they've you know long been a romantic couple. There's a college-age girl, and then like a middle school-age boy, but none of them are actually related, and they all live together in the old lady's house, and she's collecting like her dead husband's pension and they're all just kind of running scams of some sort so again shop shoplifting is a big part of it it's just so they're just kind of these i hate to call them like con artists because they're not they're not as upfront about that they're more just kind of sneaky stealing like you know it isn't more isn't it more like because i saw the trailer and i wanted to go see it because it was here in town i just didn't find the time and i'm regretting it isn't it basically they're doing this just to survive Yes, it's just to make ends meet. They they don't ever want to actually victimize individuals. So if you know they're skimming money from you know well her pension is just her dead husband's pension, and then some of them have kind of maybe legit side jobs. But I think the 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 middle aged woman in in the couple she's kind of just stealing a few items from work here and there. Uh, her husband will take the middle school boy, and they kind of have this whole system where they go in stores and he runs distraction while the kid steals the stuff they need. Uh, even the old lady is not necessarily upfront about how she's getting all her money from, you know, the government and through the pension and everything. But then the plot kind of gets going. That's just kind of who they are. And you kind of like, oh man, these people are kind of sleazy, but Mm -hmm. they encounter a like starving, freezing, like five-year-old girl, like seems to be like locked outside her own house or something. So they bring her over for dinner. And when they go to take her back the next day, they kind of hear the, the, her parents fighting and basically are, they're just glad she's gone. And so they're like, well, and they've seen like scars and stuff on the girl. So they're like, well, shoot, we'll just, she can just hang out here, I guess. And they ask, you know, you're okay with this hanging out here? She's like, yeah, this is cool. So basically they just kidnapped her, but almost kind of an adoption way. And the parents never actually report her missing. And so it's, but so the whole thing is that even though these people are dishonest and yes, they're shoplifters and things like that, they have good hearts and just kind of view the world in a different way than we would consider normal or okay but they're not bad people at the same time and would never intentionally hurt anybody. And it just kind of, the whole thing is a very interesting look at morality in general. And you, you start caring for these people very flawed as they all are in their own way. And it's, and it's just, and it's never, it's never over the top. Everything's just kind of 
subtle and it's just to look at their lives and they're all pretty chill all the time there's no big fight scenes there's no there's no big moments it's just a lot of these little human moments between these very flawed characters and i i just i just uh i really enjoyed it it's one that i want to see it's on the list so let's go to your number eight we might just be going kind of back and forth here because we know your number nine is my number eight but let's what's your number eight? yeah vice Vice. Um, actually, no. Let's talk about that now because I actually uh, do you not have it. I didn't put it 10? in my top ten. So you okay. you lead the you lead the way on Vice here. Okay. Uh, it's about Dick Cheney and the horrible human being that he is. Um, it was fascinating because so it basically starts from him hit like college age and then goes up to basically right now. And I didn't know a whole lot about him, and I took the movie with a grain of salt. I know that they, you know, tried, I listened to a podcast with uh, the director, Adam McKay, and he's like, you know, we did a ton of research. We tried to do this as close to it as we can. He goes, of course, there's stuff behind closed doors. We'll never know what happened. So we just said this happened. I enjoyed it. I wish I would have enjoyed it more. I thought the big short was really, really good. So I was hoping it would be like that. Unfortunately, it wasn't. I feel like the editing was weird. It was very choppy. So it, and which that really worked for the big short it was just too much for this movie i think i think that's a good way to summarize it he was he was almost maybe too hesitant to make it its own thing and it still was yeah. its own thing they played with the timeline a little more i, I think the big short was actually i forget was it was it kind of chronological or did it, it kind of jumped all over the place too maybe didn't it in time yeah yeah so yeah like i appreciate the every christian bale is is amazing I actually talked about it on the last episode with with Braden. We talked about it a little bit, and uh, you know Amy Adams too. So the, the acting's great, but yeah, it's almost like they couldn't figure out what they wanted to focus on. And they do acknowledge the leaps of faith they made, and of course, in the opening, even just kind of says like, "Hey, we tried. This dude is a you know a closed book. Like no one knows this guy. We got as close as anybody who's not him could get." And it is kind of fascinating. Just I, I, I wonder how well it will hold up. You know, you mentioned the Bill Simmons thing. In 10 years, will it be like Dick Cheney who? Of course, my whole thing is after watching Big Short and Vice, I just would be shocked if Adam McKay is not already writing the Trump movie. <laughs> like, doesn't he seem to be like tackling yeah, these he big would be things? The one, he would be the one that would do it, yeah. Right, and I'm looking for – there's no official announcement at all, but just – the types of projects he's tackling, you got to admit, I, yeah. I, I can see Hollywood even being like, yeah, Adam will get it. <laughs> we know this is going to be a movie in the next, you know, two to 10 years. It's going to be a movie and uh, we'll just let Adam do it. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, I did enjoy Vice, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't put it in my top 10. I actually even just cut it from my honorable mentions uh, at the last minute just to kind of make room for some others. Not Again, not that I disliked it, but it's one that has that big Rotten Tomatoes split and I wasn't even going to see it all. It is by far the lowest rated Rotten Tomatoes lowest uh critic score that i have on the yes, list yes and the only reason i saw it is the signs were pointing to a best picture nomination which uh it did ultimately get uh, i would like to point out that you did mention christian bale and amy adams but i think sam rockwell was a great w i uh i don't disagree i wonder was he was he a little was he a little over the top i mean i mean see I'm, that's what i love because oh. i just i just i don't know i think w is kind of i don't know can be a joke at times, and I think that Sam Rockwell played into that. Okay, okay, he definitely made him kind of the the likable. Uh, oh, not not fool per se, but just kind of. Uh, uh, you can say fool. Uh, I'll say fun, likable fool. <laughs> okay, we'll use that word. I don't mean it like the court jester <laughs> style fool, but uh, yeah. 
but uh, just kind of a just kind of a, a good old boy. And again, they saw. I mean, not to get off topic and in the political realm, but they say a big reason Bush got elected was he was the kind of guy that everybody would want to have a beer with. And he definitely comes across as that guy in the movie. I would say is a is is a fair assessment. So hey, let's get into the favorite. Your number nine, my number eight. Yeah, I dug it. Now, had you seen Yorgos Lanthimos's uh, previous movie, The Lobster, or anything else he's done? I have no nothing. Because uh, so, what did you think of just the kind of weird thing, that weird flair that he brought to this period piece? So I am not normally a big fan of period pieces, so I didn't really have high expectations going into this. I enjoyed it a lot. I did listen to your podcast on history and film about the favorite the other day. In it, you said that you thought Queen Anne was didn't have mental health issues, just was affluenza, and I disagree. Okay, I think a big part of her, like as a person, was because was mental health issues because she lost all those kids. Oh, right. But I don't think it was just affluenza. I think it was. I mean, losing one kid is going to stick with you for the rest of your life. Losing what was it, seventeen? Seventeen pregnancies and not child that lasted past a year or two. So I think she just became basically just numb. She was just broken. I gotcha. Yeah. So I so I think that it was there was some mental health stuff in there. Uh yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think affluenza would be far secondary to that. Affluenza is a big part of it also, but Right, but right. But that didn't that didn't yeah, her her to- the total collapse of her psyche was probably more of the just the trauma of the losses of and this and just and like i did mention in my other show this the the failure to provide an heir to the country so you know the personal loss added with the you let the country down or or whatever you would say there the acting was great i mean obviously they got three nominations i don't understand why olivia coleman was for best actress and not supporting because there was never a scene in the movie where she was by herself I was actually just talking with my mom about the same thing, and I see the three women as basically three equal leads, and I'm going to guess we have the same single... If we had to pick a lead, who would you pick? Well, Emma Stone. Exactly. And that's what I said. So if you're going to pick one single one of the three out, Emma Stone is the lead, and the other two should have been supporting. But So I don't know. They always talk about campaigns and stuff, so I don't know to what extent this was kind of thrust upon them. Or they knew they had to split. They, if they're all three supporting, you knew you had to split somebody off just to kind of split the vote up. Well, and in best supporting, I think they're going to split votes. I think if it was only one of them in there, they might have been able to win it. I know. Although at the BAFTA, Rachel Weisz did just win. But yes, I think that could be a definite issue at the Oscars. Rachel Weisz is British. Correct. Emma Stone. Correct. So at the Oscars, you're right. I could see those two just kind of shooting each other in the foot, so to speak, and neither of them wins, even though either one of them alone would be the favorite. <laughs> uh, so, again, for, for those who don't know, this movie, it, it's just kind of this quirky period piece about two women who are vying to be the queen's favorite, just the person who the queen kind of dotes on and just kind of makes sure they kind of live a life of a little higher luxury and Rachel Weisz's character has kind of long been in this role, and Emma Stone is a cousin of hers who comes to court and basically tries to supplant her and and take over. And it is surprisingly accurate as far as the roles that these women had. Yeah, uh, I was very surprised when you when I listened to your podcast about that because I didn't really know. I just thought it was a movie. I had no idea. Right, you just kind of assumed that this was all fabricated mm-hmm. and just kind of a fun setting. It's like, no, this kind of happened. Yeah. 
So also, so, so Lanthimos is his stuff is really weird, and mm-hmm. I, I hesitate to even recommend the lobster. It's one I think I did last year, or the year before. I put in my honorable mentions, but with a big asterisk that it's definitely not for everybody. Yeah. It's just bizarre. Where the premise is basically it's a parallel world or not too distant future, and basically you know kind of a dystopian thing. But anybody who is unable to find a mate like if you're not in a couple and you're single you go to this resort and they give you a little bit of a period to try to meet maybe someone there at the resort and that at the end of i forget if it's a week a month or whatever if you don't find someone to be with then you are literally turned into an animal so like colin farrell shows up to the place with his dog who was actually his brother who had failed to find someone like the year before how old are you when they send you to this place See, I'm not sure. So he's, you know, Colin Farrell age, so 40 or whatever. But I don't know if there was – it's also bizarre. I don't know if this is like a news thing society has started doing or if it is when you hit a certain age. Or it may even just be everybody who's an adult. And the re- Oh, that's what it was. He had just been broken up with or something like that. So he was newly single. Uh, so mm-hmm. he had been with in a relationship, was newly single. And it's basically like, oh, you're single? Go to the place. So I think it's maybe, maybe any adult who is single. So what animal would you get turned into? Oh man! <laughs> Take it, Cody. Uh, I don't know. That's that's a good question. I'd ha- I guess I'd have to pick. I would. I don't know. Someone's made like a dolphin where you're super smart. Do they let you pick? Yeah. So that's the title of the movie is a lobster because in like the entrance interview with Colin Farrell, he chooses a lobster, and uh, okay. and he explains like, yeah, I forget the reasons, but he's like, I want to be a lobster because this, this, and this, and okay, so he's the lobster. As, as you go throughout the movie. And, of course, Rachel Weisz is in it, too. And it's just so bizarre. Lanthimos, in the couple of movies before The Favorite I've seen, just leans so into the weird that it's uncomfortable. You know how, like, in The Office, there's kind of those little uncomfortable, awkward moments yes. at times that some people mm-hmm. were kind of turned off by, especially in, like, the early seasons? That times a million. Oh, jeez. And you're just like, oh, why am I watching this? And it's interesting, and it's, and it's uh, unique. And you're cringing and just like almost like white knuckling like you would in a horror movie with just the cringe factor. What I noticed, though, is he wrote The Lobster and then Dogtooth, which I didn't like at all from like 09. He didn't write The Favorite. So you're basically taking a maybe more traditional script or maybe kind of a black comedy set as a period piece. And you get this weird director putting his touch on it. And I think it was the perfect amount. So it's basically the first Lanthimos movie I've liked. And I really liked it. So I didn't really expect to. I kind of went in watching it like, well, all right. I guess I'll see what he does with this. And I really enjoyed it. Um, anything else on the favorite? No, oh, yes. When Emma Stone gets married, spoiler alert, she marries Taylor Swift's boyfriend. Oh, his her, her IRL boyfriend? Yes, yes. So Well, for now, for now. What's, what's, the, what's the shelf life on a Taylor Swift boyfriend? They've been together for almost a year, Richie. Oh, okay. I take it back. She does not have to be turned into a lobster. Yes. So when Richie says uh, every conversation with me starts about, with the Patriots, it's either the Patriots or Taylor Swift. This is true. If Tom Brady split up from Giselle and started dating Taylor Swift, uh, your head would My explode. My world, I would die. <laughs> right. Not metaphorically. Like I, I literally yeah. would die. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. What is your, or see, you're on your number seven, right? Seven. Yeah. And I don't think that you saw this. It's uh, Ben is back. I did not. It was it was kind of on my periphery, and, and you know I did see thirty some movies uh, in anticipation for this, but I didn't get to that one. It was, I think it had decent or Rotten Tomatoes, 
rating, just not enough that I felt it was uh, one I had to rush out and see. Yeah, it was just an just an eighty on Rotten Tomatoes, which is solid. I I would like to see. Yeah, it. I the reason I saw it is I like Julia Roberts a lot, and I really like Lucas Hedges, the yes. main actor in it. I think he's awesome. He's probably my favorite actor right now. He is. He's got to be, and I just think he's awesome. The movie was really good. I I think. Of the movies I cried in this year, this was probably this one I cried in the second most. Okay, nice, nice. And it was also just kind of a tear, not like bawling, but like a tear, like the entire movie. Oh. And it's about, so Ben is a drug addict. He comes back to the family and it's about that. It's really, it's heartbreaking just seeing him realize that he's sober now, but realizing he's ruined things for his family and just him realizing all the hurt that he's put on his family. And it's very good. I think I, after I saw the movie, I texted Richie and said, Julia Roberts is a national treasure. Cause she is. <laughs> and Steve Carell plays his dad, right? No, no, no. That is a uh, beautiful boy. Oh, wait, wait, what movie are we talking a different, about? A different... Oh man. The... Okay. So I... No, I know. And they're both, they're both about drugs too. Isn't Lucas Hedges in both? No, Timothy Chalamet is in. Oh, oh Timothy Chalamet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I just, I think it's during the Baptist. I just saw, yeah, I saw a trailer, or not a trailer, they showed a clip during the BAFTAs, and for some reason, oh, okay. you, I, I, I had the two movies conflated. Okay, my bad. I, I, saw, I saw Beautiful Boy, that did have Steve Carell in it, and then the mom in Beautiful Boy was Holly from The Office. Okay. So that was really hard for me to separate. No, right, it's almost like it's a, a prequel or sequel to The Office. Yeah, it was, it was too much. So, uh, Ben is back is really good. I recommend that you watch it. And Lucas Hedges was also in, cause he's basically kind of went from, you know, just, uh, someone no one who ever heard of had ever heard of to now he's been nominated for an Oscar. I think once was he Manchester, uh, Manchester by the sea. Was he nominated for that? I don't know. And that's not one that I've seen, but it is definitely on the list. And then he was also in just this year with Russell Crowe, uh, boy erased. And I was thinking there was another, he was in three billboards. That's right. Yeah. So he's got a crazy knack for these no no hold on he was in ladybird also oh oh that's right so how does this kid so, so yeah so and and <laughs> and he was in he was in mid 90s this year which is another one that i I didn't see but it's gotten really good reviews i didn't see it either but i i want to see it's jonah hill's directorial debut and i do want to see it i just didn't get a chance so lucas hedges has an uncanny knack for being in good movies i'd be curious to look through his his uh, films on Rotten Tomatoes to see if he's got anything under a 70 that he's ever even done, especially in the last few years. Yeah, cause, and he was in Grand Budapest, which I enjoyed. Oh, I didn't realize. So that was kind of before he was on my radar. And in 2012, he's in Moonrise Kingdom. Okay. He, man, he's how old is he? Um, He is 22. Oh, so he's like middle school aged in Moonrise Kingdom. Yeah. Nice. Um, So his I didn't realize this until afterwards in the credits, but his dad directed Ben is Back. Okay, okay. That might sound familiar, actually. I might have heard that on another podcast or read something somewhere. Actually, I think I might have told you. That's what it probably was. I think you probably told me. <laughs> and then his dad also... I, so I IMD beat him afterwards. His dad also directed Dan in Real Life with uh, Steve Carell. Okay, I like that one. Yeah. And he wrote... Oh, I didn't realize this. I'm on his Wikipedia. He wrote What's Eating Gilbert Grape. He wrote the novel. Oh, wow. Okay. It's just always kind of interesting when you realize these up-and-coming actors that, oh, yeah, so they are new, but their family's been in the industry for, you know, decades or generations sometimes, and, yeah, you don't always realize it. Yeah. If they weren't, especially if they weren't 
you know, an actor where we're where we know them super well. So that was your number seven, right? Yep, so it sure is. Okay, so my number seven is I'm gonna guess this is one you have not seen. The Rider? No, I haven't. Have you heard of it? I haven't. So it's 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 I actually I don't think I've ever seen a movie like this. It's star it's okay, it's about it's about like a rodeo bronco rider and we see kind of early on that he's he's just getting over an injury where he basically like got stepped on in competition like on his skull by a horse like he's basically lucky to live has this huge scar on his head and the main character isn't an actor he's an actual guy who actually got stepped on during competition in a rodeo so this this is a chinese lady who's the director she you know she lives over here I don't know if she lives specifically in South Dakota, but was in there just kind of almost like just kind of scouting around for story ideas, met this guy and modeled the whole fictional movie on his life and kind of made a fictionalized version of his life and got him to star in it. But he's not an actor. So, Hmm. but it's also not a documentary. So it's almost, I don't even know how to explain it. So it's kind of like a narrative documentary, but it's, it's fictionalized. It's not his real life story. They changed his they changed his last name. He's his name's Brady, he, but he, and he's still Brady. They just changed his last name, and he is, was kind of a rodeo star before he got hurt. And so that's all true. But she takes it into the place that she wants to take it, and just kind of builds it within his world. So even if it's not exactly what happened to him, it's the kind of thing that could happen to him or people like him. And you're just so immersed in this actual world that even though I have no interest in rodeo cowboy type stuff, <laughs> I was fascinated. And like on the verge of tears, there's a scene where, you know, he, he just meets with his paralyzed friend in the hospital, you know, played by his actual paralyzed friend. And oh wow. Right. And he, you know, breaks down in the truck afterwards. Like just, you know, he, you know, kept the brave face on for his friend. And then he's in the truck by himself later and just breaks down. And like, this guy's not an actor and she's got him crying on screen. And it's just, so so real there was it was basically just too small of a movie to kind of get enough traction but there was some yeah. some podcasts that were basically talking like is this guy an outside shot at a best actor nominee as not even an actor just a cowboy who got cast in a movie and, and the same thing so like we're and i didn't even know this going in ahead of time i just knew that oh it's about a cowboy or about a rodeo guy mm-hmm. like, like that's all i knew and then i'm watching the movie and the girl playing his sister, I was like, okay, something's not right. Like she was acting like she's autistic or whatever. But I was like, no actor would ever act like this because it would come off as insulting or patronizing in some some way. Like it was, it was over the top in a comical way. That's not funny. If you're not autistic, like it's like, it'd be like almost like the equivalent of blackface or something. Like, it's like, no, 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 you, you can't, what are you doing? I was like, there's no way this is an actress. I was like, this is a really an autistic girl. And you look it up afterwards. Yeah. It's his actual sister and she is, you know, on the spectrum or whatever. And you could just, you could just yeah. tell. And in a way that would be insulting if anyone was trying to portray her as that way. And the same thing, his dad was his actual dad. It was just that's so, crazy. Yes. So, and they did such a good job. There was a scene where he's hanging out with his friends and it's a little rigid and awkward because you can tell none of them are actors. And yeah. it's just kind of got them trying to film a real conversation. And it's just a little stilted. And like, they're just kind of a little too hyper aware that they're on camera. But I think she was around Brady enough that that faded away and he was just himself and even get in arguments with his dad and going back and forth. It was fascinating. And, and you, you tear up a couple of times and it's very, very slow paced, but 
I've just never seen a movie that was kind of this almost a documentary, but not, which made it the, one of the most realistic movies I've ever seen. How do I watch it? It was, I think I rented it on Netflix. Or sorry, rented it on okay. Amazon. I'll have to look for it. Yeah, check it out. Uh, what is your number six? If Bill Street could talk. Oh, which we'll talk which... about now because I, okay. I do not have it listed. You don't? Oh, I'm No, and I really wanted to, and I just couldn't get into it. It was too slow for me or something. Too slow. I... Okay, that is one thing that I will say. I think it was a wonderfully made movie. It's way, way better than Moonlight. Okay, okay, and I, and I would say they were same, on same par. Dr- same I would director, say they were on Barry par. Jenkins. Yes, Barry Jenkins directed both. Moonlight nominated, for, or sorry, one Best Picture. This one was not nominated. Did it win Best Picture? Did La La Land? <laughs> Depends on at what point you tuned in to the ceremony <laughs> and what point you checked yeah. out. <laughs> Yeah, I like the story. Um, you're right, though. It was very slow. And there were times where it was just like, I'm just sitting here. Give me something. But I was able to get over that. And normally I'm not, but I don't know why. It's just I don't know a lot about that time period, especially in like big cities. Right. So it was cool to, I guess, learn about that. Because this was new. Is I forget. Is it New York in the 60s or 70s? Yeah. Yeah. So a lot when there's a lot of racial stuff going on where they can just you know deny you apartment uh, deny you an apartment because of your race correct and then or basically just incarcerate you for no reason correct or for the reason you being black right because basically yeah so he yeah they he gets imprisoned for rape but basically has an alibi that he was on the other side of town at the time and the cop basically threw him. Had the cop had a beef with him, throws him in front of uh, the victim in the lineup, and kind of says, "We got your guy," and she's like, uh, "Yeah, that's the guy." And so he goes to prison, and then she just and then she just flees away to Puerto Rico, right? And then she's dealing with her own trauma, you know. Right? And that was kind of heartbreaking that she's dealing with her own trauma and basically isn't willing to help exonerate the guy, which I thought was so sad. I'm like, I like I I understand like she's going through something, so it's hard to relive that. But, like, there's an innocent man in jail who didn't do this to you. Right. But then her family's perspective is, we want closure. Him being in prison gives us closure and lets us move on with our lives. So you can definitely... Now, you're, you're, you're mad. You're super mad that they're not coming to help, but you kind of get it. Yeah. Um. The best parts of this movie was whenever Regina King was in it. So, and she's the one nominated for Best Supporting Actress, right? Supporting, yeah. Yeah, so... And I, she was great. I, she was not even in this movie though. Like she's in like one scene that's in the preview, and yeah, it's great. But I just didn't feel like it was enough screen time to get that supporting actress nomination. I, well, you know how they always say like you have your Oscar speech in a movie. True, and she nailed it. And where do you think it was? What point of the movie? What's the one that's in the trailer where they're talking? She's talking. She's berating her. I don't watch trailers anymore. Oh, gotcha. So it's it's the scene basically right after they've mentioned that the girl is pregnant. So basically the two the two moms of the couple are getting into it and the girl's mom is supportive and the boy's mom is super religious and basically is already ashamed of the child and uh Regina King playing the girl's mom basically gives the whole speech on, you know, it's not the kid's fault, it's your grandchild and you know very emotional, heartfelt, well-delivered speech that yes, you're exactly right. Got her nominated for an Oscar. Is that the scene you were talking about? I I think it was when she went down to Puerto Rico. Oh, okay. When she ta- when she went to find the victim and talked to her and she basically just once she realizes that she has this speech to her, tries to talk to her the lady's not having it, and then she basically just breaks down because she realizes this was the only shot that they had to get this man out of jail. Right, because there's exactly one witness 
well, of course, because they won't listen to the witnesses that you know are can support his alibi. Oh, because it's his buddy who's also a, an ex-con, right? Yeah. So basically, there's we're just they just know his testimony won't hold uh, weight in court. Mm-hmm. And then the cop who does have some weight basically just had a beef with him from another incident. And I do like how they kind of told it out of order, and we kind of get that information yeah, too, too. after, right? Mm-hmm. So you actually kind of start with mm-hmm. him in prison, not even not it kind of not the first scene, but like the second scene is him cut to him in prison, and we don't know why yet. And so I do like how they kind of did it out of order. Yeah. Ultimately, it didn't make my list because, ironically, similar to my beef with The Notebook. So everyone was like so enamored with The Notebook. And my thing was Ryan Gosling's character didn't exist outside of his obsession with her. Like he wasn't even a person. So I felt like in, in the Bill Street one, they were so cute together. They're a very sweet couple. But they basically weren't people outside of their relationship. And well, and I don't know how good of a couple they were because she just kind of went along with everything he said. And true, just she had no personality at all, other than she no, was just kind of sweet all. and quiet. Yeah, the scene where they first have sex was it felt a little forced on his part. I know. I was almost kind of hoping that he would like not go for it that time. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of yeah. It was. Especially because there was, I believe there was a few year age gap, right? She was like 18 and he was mid 20s or was it that much? Uh, I think they're just a couple years apart. But yeah, she okay. she was, yeah, basically 18, 19 and he was early 20s. I think they were two or three years apart. I, okay. Oh, that makes sense because there's a scene of with him as kids. Yes, in the yes. And he's not noticeably older than her even when they were kids. Yeah. So it was okay. like he was eight, she was 10. Or sorry, vice versa. Yeah, yeah. She was eight, he was 10. Um, so that was your number six. My number six, you probably have farther up. A Star is Born. I do have it further up. Okay, so let's go to your number five. Black Klansman. I have that farther up. Okay. So let's go to my number five. <laughs> I do like doing it this way. So my number five is The Bout of Buster Scruggs. I, okay, I want to see it. And I, they were, they were, I listened to the big picture today, which is another Ringer podcast, because that's literally all I do with my life is listen to the Ringer podcast. And they were talking about it today. And I didn't see it because I was going to ask Dan if he wanted to watch it. And he, I, I played in the trailer and it was just a little too much for him. But I really like the Coen brothers, so I need to see it. Okay. And when I first heard about it, I was excited in general. Just because anything the Coen brothers do is going to uh, attract my attention. And yeah. But when I heard it was just a series of short films, I was almost kind of like disappointed in that. Oh, well, that's sh- that stinks. Like it doesn't even count as a movie. Then it was kind of how I saw it at first. And I, you know, I watched it and I, even even watching it and enjoying it. I was like, well, but is it even quote unquote eligible for my top 10? Cause it's not a full feature length standalone story as a movie, but I kind of decided, well, it was packaged and released that way. It is sold as a movie. They are thematically thread together as one piece. And just because no character goes throughout, even though it's about a Buster Scruggs, you know, he is just in the first of the six stories and they're, they're all completely standalone. It still works as a one sit down movie and just kind of watching it all in one go and getting into each story and kind of hitting reset. And I just really liked it. And it's so memorable. It's probably the most memorable movie of the year. There's just certain Hmm. things in it 
that are just seared into your mind. And the Coen brothers are so good with dialogue. Like it's the best dialogue of any movie this year. And I know you like Aaron Sorkin and you'll see like dialogue, the the battle of Buster Scruggs. Like I want to rewatch it over and over again and just memorize lines. It's just, it's, it's fun, but now it's also kind of dark and violent. So like my mom had to get up and and leave the room and (laughs) my, my dad loved the, the first Buster Scruggs one, but then he could kind of take or leave most of the rest of them. And I kind of get that. There's a couple that I wasn't a huge fan of, but overall I really, really liked it. And it's one I'm going to rewatch kind of, you mentioned, you know, Dan Simmons or sorry, Dan Simmons, that's an author, Bill Simmons talking about just kind of what movies are still going to be relevant in a decade and relevant as far as the world of cinema goes, maybe not so much, but this is one I'm going to be rewatching forever. It's just a lot of fun. Well, and I feel like it since it's on Netflix, that makes the rewatchability easier. Oh, right. So actually, so I watched it, you know, start to finish. And then over the holidays when I was making my dad watch it, ended up kind of rewatching it in pieces. Mm-hmm. And, oh, yeah. and, and, and it works, and it works perfect for that. So I, yeah, I even kind of just rewatched the last piece just so I had officially rewatched all of them. Uh, except for the one with Liam Neeson that I didn't really like. I didn't read it. That's the one I didn't rewatch, <laughs> but, but the rest of them were so good. It's it still, I felt was uh, worth a top five spot, uh, on my list. So let's see your number four boy erased. Okay. Which was the Lucas hedges one we already brought up, yes. right? Okay. Which yes. I did see, I did enjoy, I did mention it in this, but I, I did really like it. So go. I obviously enjoyed it a lot. It hit a little closer to home just cause you know, right, it's about right. a gay kid. Right. So, and I just, it was one of those ones that like I was emotionally invested in it because I couldn't imagine going through that. So the movie is Lucas Hedges. His dad is a Baptist pastor. And then he, his dad is played by Russell Crowe. And then his mom is a good old Southern lady, Baptist preacher's wife, played by Nicole Kidman. And then he goes to college, kind of starts developing this relationship with a guy and this guy is, it's Taylor Swift's boyfriend, but he wasn't a good person in this movie. She'll write a song about it. Yeah. <laughs> and then this guy, Joe Alwyn, I forget the character's name, called Lucas Hedges' dad and said, hey, your son is gay. Oh, that's so right. So he comes home from, yeah. So then he comes home from college one time, his dad finds out. So then they send him to a conversion camp. Right. Okay. I was thinking that was when he was in high school. It was when he was in college. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, and then goes to conversion camp. Who is, what's the guy, the name of the... Joel Edgerton, who who also directed it. he directed it, right? Yes. So, he's this just kind of very, I don't know, biblical person and being gay is against the Bible. So, they try and they do all these different things to get it out of you, I guess is a way to put it. Yeah, and and of course, I mean, I don't think there is a conversion therapy camp that isn't religiously based, right? Yeah, I wouldn't guess so. Yeah. Um, and then doing some research afterwards on, so it was based off a book. Um, his name's Jer- Jared Conroy or something like that. Sounds um, right, something like that. Yeah, so he's very a very big advocate in the community now for um, abolishing conversion therapy. Which some um, states have done. Yeah, there's a, I feel like it's might be a majority now. Okay. So it was just, I was captivated by it, so that's why it's so high up. Nicole Kidman, I thought, I thought Nicole Kidman was awesome. Yes, she's one I'm almost surprised didn't sneak out an Oscar nomination because yeah. when the the kind of the emotional catharsis and emotional climax of the movie is kind of her and him together uh, in the car near the end because basically the mm-hmm. dad's just a much tougher sell and is just mm-hmm. can't get past it and ultimately what she can't get past is her love for her son. Yeah, 
So just kind of definitely has the, you know, you know, the Oscar worthy scene at, at the end, but uh, she, I mean, she didn't get the nomination, but uh, de- definitely a really good movie. I, I did enjoy it. I think I ultimately just kind of left it off because I didn't feel it was a big enough story. And obviously I don't connect to it yeah. as, as personally, but I mean, I did tear up. I mean, it was, it was a very powerful, yeah. powerful story. And yeah, the, the actual guy is like a writer in New York now, right? Yep. Yeah. And he seems like a really good guy. I follow him on Twitter now. Oh, nice. I'll have to do the same. Yeah. And he seems like a good guy. He cares about stuff. He hates Trump. So that always makes him good in my book. <laughs> now, the the uh, Joel Edgerton character, the guy in charge of the conversion camp, have you heard about him in real life? Well, they said it at the end of the movie. So that's how I found out. Oh, that's right. Okay. But I've actually yeah. heard an interview with him on another podcast, like the actual guy in an interview. Cool. And uh-huh. oh, I... I can't remember what, can't remember what podcast it was now. I think it was maybe Radio Lab, and mm-hmm. it was interesting getting even more detail. And obviously, the movie is from Jared or whatever his name is from his point of view, and rightfully so. But hearing it from the point of view of the guy in charge of the camp, you definitely—I don't want to say you feel completely sorry for him, but he's definitely going through his own stuff. And obviously, it started. So, this- well, we should probably say we should say he's. He, he's come out as gay now. Oh, right. Yeah. He's married and living in Texas to a guy. And yeah, right. So yeah, the movie does, the movie does mention that in the closing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah. All right. A, but you're right. We, we need, you're right. We need to actually say it out loud. So he had been previously openly gay, basically had a coming to Jesus personal moment where he kind of recanted all that started a conversion therapy thing. As Nicole Kidman's character points out, you have no training. What what qualifies you yeah. to do this other than you just felt like you should do this so you can ruin other people's lives? And then afterwards, basically regretted everything and is now openly gay again and and married. And it obviously kind of just disavow. You see that with a lot of these conversion therapy places where they all just kind of ultimately end up disavowing their own practices. Uh, those that you know have closed yeah, because they realize how because they have a come to instead of a come to Jesus they have a come to common sense and realize how wrong it is right right and just you, you, yeah you're you're basically breaking people and the one and the kid in the movie even you know commits suicide when he's not I mean, not the main character but uh yeah, yeah it's uh yeah it's rough it's rough but uh yeah ultimately uh, yeah. Ult- ultimately uh def- definitely worth watching very very heartwarming movie but it's uh it's a tough sit mm-hmm. yeah it, it, it's uncomfortable at points okay that was your 4 yep so my number four, and I, I'm going to guess this one you maybe haven't seen, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. So I have not, and God, I feel like I probably should have seen more movies to prepare for this because I feel like it would be <laughs> high up there because I forget his name, but the guy on the big picture, it's like his favorite movie of the year, and I've only heard good things about it. Okay, so I, I watched it, and it was one of those where it was actually probably the most fun at the theater I had all year. Just because it's a little, you know, it's a lighter, it's an action movie, it, it is more fun. And, well, so a couple of things here. One, I feel like everybody's talking about Black Panther, and I'm like, there's a better superhero movie that focuses on a minority protagonist. It is not hard to have a better superhero movie this year than Black Panther, though. And I don't, and I, I and I feel bad, like I don't, I like Black, Black Panther. Black Panther is a good movie. I'll watch it again. It was fun in the theater. I don't see how it was markedly different or better than Captain America Civil War or something like that. Like, it's, yeah, it's good. All the Marvel movies are pretty good. This one might have been one of the top three. But I don't understand why it's suddenly crowned as a Best Picture nominee and won the SAG for Best Cast. Like, it's good, but you could definitely argue they're getting into melodrama 
and the and I I love uh, Michael B. Jordan, but you could argue he's getting a little uh, over the top. Okay, I did not like Black Panther. I had high expectations going in. I kind of stopped watching the Marvel movies after I think the second Avengers. They just got too. They got like how the second and third Transformers were, where they just tried to make all these jokes, and I just don't find it funny. It's just playing to the mass audience, which makes me sound stuck up. But so I Black Panther to me, I just I hated the character development where yes, it felt forced. It felt forced. Yes, where like Michael B. Jordan just basically comes in out of nowhere, and all of a sudden there's this big battle. Like it made no sense. Right. So. It was it was fine, but I I I don't get the hype, and it, and if we're gonna say the hype is because, and I, I and I get getting behind more projects with you know minority casts and focusing and, by, and minority directors, and I, and I think that's important. We want that diversity, but that doesn't mean just because you have that diversity, you're a better movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can get more behind Moonlight winning than I could behind Best Picture being a Best Picture nominee. And yeah. again, let's look at Spider-Man. And again, I guess I don't know who directed it, but you have a half Hispanic, half African-American protagonist who becomes Spider-Man. Like there's, there it is. And it's probably going to win best animated movie. It's been winning all the precursors uh, for that. And I just loved it. So what's funny though, is when I watched Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, my first thought was, oh man, that was so good. That's in my top 10 for sure. But my thought was, oh, but it'll be, number nine or number 10 because you know it's just the you know lighthearted animated movie or whatever mm-hmm. but what happened though is i came up with these top four movies here that i came up with four movies that i said those are on my list no matter what happens with any other movies those four movies are guaranteed to be on my list but i was thinking mm-hmm. oh, okay well one will be, they'll be at like two and three and seven and ten it's like wait you idiot if they're your if they're the four movies you want for sure in your top mm-hmm. ten they're the top four by default. Stop thinking about it. So even though intellectually I wouldn't think that I would put Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse in my, in my number four spot, I wanted it in my top ten more than I wanted everything up to this point. So, yeah. yep, it's number four. And it's just so fun. It's, it's original. It's clever. They they do just so many fun things with the animation, where the animation kind of shifts throughout the movie. Like even the style of animation changes throughout the movie. And you're dealing with interdimensional stuff and multiple Spider-Men from other dimensions. And it's really, really fun. And like I said, the, the most fun I had at the movie this year was Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. So how about your number three? My number three is Green Book, which I have no idea where if you even ha- I doubt you even have it on your list if it's not this high. I, cor- correct. I put it in my honorable mentions, but I, I okay. ultimately didn't put it this high. So go. It was another one where I, once we get into my like top five, it's movies that I just really enjoyed watching and I could see myself watching again. So Mahershal Ali is a famous like piano player who decides to go on a concert tour in the South. He's black. Uh, it's one of the time where racial tensions were high. And then Viggo Mortensen is his driver. They start the movie out. Viggo Mortensen is racist because he has two black people in his home that are fixing some appliance. And his wife offered them some lemonade, and he ends up throwing the glasses in the trash. So the movie kind of sets that as, hey, this is a racist guy. And then where he works, at the Copacabana, which is famous, I think. Yeah, so he works there. They're closed for a couple months for renovation, so he has to have a job. He gets a job as a driver for Mahershala Ali's character. So it's just there 
story of them traveling through the South and basically both of them growing as people as they learn about each other's culture and life, I guess. Yes, and it is really well done and very watchable and rewatchable, like you said. Mm-hmm. I just ultimately, for me, it was ultimately maybe I think I put it didn't it didn't tread new ground. Like I felt like this was a story we've seen before, and mm-hmm. yes, it was a true story, and yes, it was interesting. Vigo, you could argue, is a little over the top, but I think they've shown <laughs> clips of the actual guy, and like, no, that's he nailed it. Like this guy is just yeah, that he's, he's big a lot of, Italian. Yeah, he's just that big of a personality. So, so I can respect that. I even did tear, tear up a little bit. I, I think I said, I don't know if I texted you, but right after I, I finished watching it, I was like, it's a, like a really well-made Lifetime movie. Like if they took a sappy movie mm. but made it really good, so where it wasn't mm-hmm. even sappy, like they earned it, I think that'd be this movie. Yeah. And it was enjoyable. Yeah. I did tear up a little bit at the end. Sweet little heart-tugging movie we've seen a million times that didn't tread any new ground for me. I, yeah. you know, I liked it, but I'm saying I'm showing why it didn't make my top ten. I think part of the reason why I had it so high, I have a, I don't know if it's a problem, but I have a problem with my expectations going into the movie yes. play a lot. I had terrible expectations for this movie okay. because for some reason it was on, because I watch a lot of sports, so it was on every other commercial for whatever football game I was watching. Right. And I just like, this does not look good at all. And, and then I saw that it was getting Best Picture mentioned. I was like, oh, okay, I'll go see it. So I had bad expectations. And then it exceeded those. So then I think it makes me think it's even better. There's very few movies that I have like a good expectation going in and it meets it. True. The Dark Knight is the number one answer of high expectations, far exceeded it. Uh, my top my top two are also ones high expectations and then they met or exceeded it. Okay, nice. And... We've probably talked about that before, and I've talked about it with other people, and I think it was even Kevin Pollack on his podcast mentioned that the number one factor in determining your enjoyment for a movie is your expectations going in. That's actually part of the reason why I've tried to stop watching trailers, mm. because I don't want to have an expectation going in. I, you know, I, I look at Gold Derby, and I see which ones are probably going to get nominated, so I will just kind of go based off of that. And then that way I don't have an expectation going in. Interesting. So you use Gold Derby. I use uh, Award Circuit. I use that every once in a while because I know that was the one that you had originally showed me that one. But I started using Gold Derby because it has Vegas odds and <laughs> I like to gamble. And <laughs> yeah. I have not as much anymore because I am not very good at it. <laughs> yeah, you hear that, Missy and Greg? He's fine. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I've seen that. I've had it cut both ways for me where... There, and it's always kind of this, every Oscar season, I feel like there's this balance between, am I ranking these movies high because everyone else is? But it isn't being a double-edged sword. So there's the one movie I'm like, oh, that movie's overrated. I can't believe they think it's that good. And so I over-attack I, I over it. So if Green Book was getting no love, it'd probably be in my top 10. Mm-hmm. But, but, then also, so, but then I also feel like the other way. Then I feel like I'm just a, a homer of some kind if I'm just always advocating for the movies that are getting the the best picture love so it's almost like am i am i just following along with everybody else or am i just being contrarian and then that same thing works with movies that aren't getting love am i just being contrarian what by putting the writer on my list when no one else is or Mm -hmm. so it's always kind of this debate and your expectations going in and how it's impossible to live in a vacuum where i'm not aware of the other reviews and the other awards that are going on and yes you could be in a vacuum but then i'm seeing everything and I don't have time. 
Yeah. I've recently kind of started going like stuff that I'll, I'll see a movie on Netflix. Like, oh, maybe I want to see that. I'll read like the synopsis. And then I'll just go on Rotten Tomatoes and see what it is. Yes. Rotten Tomatoes is my number one determining factor. I know that you've always done that. And I just never really have. And then I have started doing that recently, though. Yes. And like I said, it used to be IMDb, but uh, I still will argue my actually, this, this is my theory. So it's worth mentioning right now. I argue that The Dark Knight broke the IMDb ranking in top 250. Because, I, yeah, we've talked about this before. Yeah, it used to be this nice kind of fairly balanced list of old and new and foreign and domestic mm-hmm. movies. From, and The Dark Knight came in. And you, you you would see like old movies like The Godfather getting all of a sudden a quarter million new votes. So it just mm. re-changed the whole list. It shifted it way mm. more. If you are edgy and modern, you're in the top 250 of all time. Yeah. In, in, in a way that's just way skewed. So there's, there's still, there's not like there's bad movies on there now, but it's just disproportional. I mean, I love The Dark Knight. So I hate to blame it for this happening, but it's what I mean, brought users we should, there. We should let it be known that Dark Knight is the greatest movie ever created. Is it your number one favorite of all time? Uh, all time. There's there's okay. not a question, I, and I don't think anything will ever be able to match it, honestly. And, and I can't fault you for that. I, I love it, too. I I don't necessarily have a current top ten of uh, in mind of all time, but I do love The Dark Knight also, and it's definitely up there for me. I rarely go see a movie more than once in theater. Yeah. And I saw The Dark Knight seven times. <laughs> in theater. It was, I went all three days of opening weekend because I went with like a, a group at midnight. How did I not know this? And then, and then on Saturday, I took Drew Gear. And then on Sunday, I took my parents and my brother because I was like, you have to watch this movie. It's the greatest movie ever. Third or the fourth time, I think Logan Denning came with me and it was his second time seeing it. And I, so, and there was, I think, one or two of the times that I went by myself. Wow. I just, I couldn't get enough of it. And it's, it's that and Moulin Rouge that I just put on in the background just to have something on if I'm doing something around the house. The downside of that is what, what would you not give to be able to hit reset and watch The Dark Knight again for the first time? I think that way with TV shows more than I do with movies, but I yeah, I would love to be able to experience it again for the first time. I I did see a Dark Knight or the Dark Knight twice in the theater, but uh, mm-hmm. I stopped then. <laughs> I mean, well, it was one that like I had such big expectations and going it into them. it because I yeah. love and it. Uh, yeah, I mean, we made we made T-shirts for the midnight premiere. <laughs> How do I not remember this? I I don't know because I was uh, what a junior or would have been going it was into 08. My... was it was or it jun- summer 08? Yeah, so going into your junior year. Yeah, so no, we made t-shirts with the, we had the old Batman logo on the front and we said kicking it old school and then we had like our names okay, on the back. Okay, maybe I do kind of remember that. And then I actually followed yeah. up in uh, for our track t-shirts or actually, oh, no, it was the cross country t-shirts that fall of 08. I made what I call the Bat Cardinal because I did a Cardinal with its wings extended kind of looking like the Batman logo and made that for yeah, the do cross country shirts. Do you remember the reason why you did that? Well, I'm sure it was inspired by you, but I don't remember the exact details. Oh, I was pushing hard for okay, it. Okay, okay. We, we I think we were talking about it one day at Summer Running. I'm like, no, we need to do this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and actually, I think I still have that. Oh, I do. I had a really bad sunburn this summer, so I had to wear cutoffs, and I wore that one because <laughs> I have it still. Yeah, because all our, all our 10-year-old t-shirts become cutoffs. So. Yeah, nice, nice. Um, okay, sorry. What, uh, we got off track there. What, 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 where were we, what were we talking about? I just did my number three. 
Okay, so my number three, again, this is going to be one I'm willing to bet you haven't seen because we're kind of getting to the end of both of our lists here. So my number three was Leave No Trace. Have you heard of that one? I've heard of it. It was at the, the small movie, or the movie theater I told you about that does the indies and stuff. Gotcha. So yeah, so I wouldn't even know to see it at a theater. I, it's another one I rented on Amazon. So Ben Foster is the, is the actually he's not the main character. He's the dad. The main character is probably actually his daughter, 15-year-old girl. Ben, but Ben Foster was uh, in Hell or High Water last year as kind of the Henri brother. And it was in 310 Yuma. Really good actor that I wish did more stuff. Like he's basically great and everything. A lot of time plays kind of a bad guy, but here he plays, uh, I mean, a good guy. But it's not really even the kind of movie with good guys and bad guys. So this father and daughter are living in the woods. Of course, then the woods turn out to be Forest Park in Portland. So actually, it's a city park. But I think my friend Rebecca, who lives in Portland, said it might even be like the biggest city park in the world. It's just like I, <laughs> I literally got lost walking through it and ended up walking 10 miles when I wanted to walk three. But anyway, it's this huge, <laughs> huge park. And so the idea that people could be living in there in the quote of forest is not unrealistic. But so the movie does a great job, though, of not spelling things out for you. It's just showing you this father and daughter and their lives and you kind of figure out their situation as we go. But it's not nothing's ever spelled out. And so the gist is because you're like, why are they living in the forest? This makes no sense. And we, we learned yeah. that he's a soldier. We learn that he's got PTSD. They do go into Portland to get supplies, but then they go right back into kind of hiding in the forest. It's it's illegal to live in the woods, so they get they get busted fairly early on, and that's kind of what sets the, the, the real plot in motion. And civil service takes them in, and, of course, they're like, you have your daughter living in the woods. This is not okay. Like, we're going to take her away from you. But He's basically been doing the equivalent of homeschooling her. So like they like do like a cognitive test or a like a school level test mm-hmm. and she aces it. Like they the social workers even kinda like reluctantly admit, okay, you're like ahead of grade level. But they can't say you can't you still can't go back to live in the forest because that's that's against the law. You can't live in the public park and all that. So they set them up and I'm not gonna go through the whole thing, but this this is all still basically the first third. They set them up in, I don't know what you call it, it's not public housing. They basically find a guy who's willing to hook him up with a job, and they can stay in his trailer on his property. He's, this is all out in, again, it's all in Oregon, so they kind of, this it's like this, actually it's a Christmas tree farm, so a wide open area. They live in a trailer. He starts working at the Christmas tree farm. The girl starts actually going to the public school and meets some people and has some friends, but the dad just can't take it. So the whole conflict of the whole movie is, the daughter, who's this bright young girl and very normal, loves her dad and just kind of is cool living wherever he decides they need to live. But once she's had this taste of, you know, kids her age and just being a little more social, yeah, real, life. real life, she's like, well, this seems fun. And so she's torn between what her dad wants and what she wants. But again, what the movie doesn't spell out is it's not even what the dad wants. It's what he needs. We see her looking through some papers at, at one point, and there's a headline mm-hmm. about a particular Marine division that's basically losing all its members to suicide. Mm. So what you realize is, oh, he's not being the bad guy at all. He's doing what he has to do to stay alive. He knows if he just dives back into society, he will kill himself. So, yeah. But he's got his 15-year-old girl. And so that's the conflict of the movie is how are they going to deal with this? Basically, it's the rock and a hard place. 
she's got to live a normal life and he's got to stay alive for her. So what do you do? And then, so it's very slow paced, you know, tugs at the heartstrings and everything. But the biggest thing that hit home for me was just how this man was, this man is a victim and, and represents what's actually going on in today's world. I know I'm not saying there's a lot of former Marines living in the woods with their kids, but I'm saying we send these men and women over to, to fight. And if they come back emotionally scarred and damaged, what are we doing to fix that and do right by them? And the answer is not enough. And, you know, of course, if you can't, if we, I figure if we can't afford to take care of them once they're back, we shouldn't be able to afford to send them over there in the first place. Yeah. And so just your heart breaks for both of them. So it's just, there's no real antagonist. The antagonist is PTSD. And your heart breaks for him and your heart breaks for her. And I won't get into the last third of the movie. It's, it, you know, I, I just really, really, it really got to me. I was just just I was kind of just devastated at the end of this movie. Like you just sat there. It's one of those movies where you just kind of let the credits roll. Some movies you're like, okay, I'm done. It's, I watched it online. I'll turn it off. You know, I don't care about the credits. Yeah. And not that I sat and watched the credits, but I just let it roll. Mm-hmm. This, you just kind of sit yeah, there. Yeah, almost like it'd be yeah. an insult to this movie to let it end before it ends, even if it is just the credits. Yeah. So I just kind of let it roll and just kind of had that emotional catharsis of just kind of the impact this movie had on me. So great great show again it's on on amazon to rent and again it, it is kind of slow it may not be for everybody it may not hit everybody the same way yeah it uh it got me um i was looking through ben foster's imdb and the only movie i have seen with him in it is the third x-men <laughs> which i wouldn't even realize he was in that one it's really good well, no i've seen it i've seen it i don't know what he is in oh it. okay yeah he's uh he's angel he's the one guy's son who grows the wings that's ben foster yeah that doesn't sound right. He's too old. No, it is. Really? Yeah, because what he is? Yeah, he's thirty-eight, and X three came out in 06, so he would have been. Yeah, he was playing a high schooler or around that age. Okay, so he was maybe. But it is him. Okay, so wait, what'd you say? So basically, he was thirty playing twenty-four. Okay, I got it. I got you. That surprises me because well, because yeah. three ten to Yuma yeah. was before that, I think. Yeah, three ten to Yuma is oh seven. Would you say that X Men three was? Oh, oh, well, never mind. I'm an idiot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but yeah, he's good. Uh, you need to check out that movie. So what is your number two? A Quiet Place. Oh, nice. Excellent choice. I completely forgot about it because it wasn't one of the ones that I've seen this fall or this winter. And I actually, I think it was around this time last year I saw it. Um, No, I, I dug it. So I normally don't like scary movies. And I get that this one isn't super scary scary per se but it is definitely intense and has the monsters and everything and not my kind of thing basically i did watch it because one movie pass that i had at the time that's yeah that's actually the reason i went to see it too because i didn't really know what to think and then i still had movie pass at the time and what a good few month run that was (laughs) and so i went to go see it i really like john krasinski um i like his wife and so i decided to go see it and i thought it was really good i mean it's quiet because there's like no dialogue. But I was listening to a podcast with him, and he said that the like I forget how he phrased it, but like the story of this movie is the sound or the lack of. Yes. And so it was. I just I enjoyed it a lot. You know, a little scary at parts. Jumped a few times. Yeah, it's definitely clever how they dealt with the sound and how it kind of plays into the plot itself. It's not just a gimmick of. 
oh, okay, we can't make any sound because these creatures are blind and hypersensitive to sound. Like it's, I mean, yeah, it revolves around that, mm-hmm. but it's more than just the gimmick. It, it plays into the plot itself and the character development itself because having the deaf daughter and, and everything along those lines. Uh, did you know that the daughter is deaf and real? I forgot about that, but I did hear that they made a point of hiring a deaf actress. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that was very cool. And yeah, I, I didn't have it in my top 10. I actually didn't even mention it in my honorable mention. Oh, it definitely is worth an honorable mention, but oh, I don't even have a good reason other than I just don't really dig scary movies. And so yeah. for me, this isn't super rewatchable. It is one I would recommend, but not one that's my cup of tea. I also, and I know people, I'm not normally a big believer in this, but I heard a lot of people say it's one you need to watch in the theater. And I did see it in the theater. And I completely agree with that too. I, I would too. I don't agree with that for a lot for a lot of movies, but I do with this one. And actually, so I guess to give it a little more credit then, I probably made the same mistake with it that I made with Get Out last year. So Get Out, I did not see in the theater. I saw it at home, and it sounds like that was a mistake. That the experience of seeing it with a crowd, it was kind of a big part of the movie. I saw it at home also. Dan and I saw it. And it's hard to get Dan to watch movies because he's not a huge movie person. So that is one that we watched together. He enjoyed it. Okay. But again, it sounds like I was missing something of the experience by not seeing the theater. And so with Quiet Place, I did see it in the theater, but there was basically no one else at the showing. Like literally three people total in the screening. So I think two... That exp- how many people were were at, at it when you saw it? I had a private showing. Ah, see, so I think we missed out on something by not- which was awesome because I I hate pe- I hate people. I don't disagree, <laughs> but the experience of a whole audience being silent and hearing a pin drop yeah, with a hundred people, I think would have been a whole different experience. Yeah, probably. Speaking of private viewings, my this fall slash winter, I had three, which is crazy. I've had one. I've had one ever. It's I don't know what it is. It's. Well, I think some of them are like the smaller movies, but I don't. I go like the latest showing they have on a Tuesday oh, night. Oh, see, I always go. I always shoot for first shows of the day. You're shooting for last shows of the day because I'm at work during right. the first shows, so I won't have since the weekend. And then, so I just go like the last show of the night because I mean I am up late every night anyway, so I might as well do something gotcha. productive. So when you're going at 10 p.m. on a school night, no one's there. Yeah, that makes sense. And when there are people there, I get annoyed. Okay, so my number two is uh gonna make you groan and i we don't have to talk that long about it but i did put roma at my number two movie of the year no i want to talk okay about it. okay so you did watch it wait this makes me excited for your this makes me excited for your number one though <laughs> which uh the listener can figure out if they do some calculating but uh yeah but uh we'll, we'll, we'll ignore that for now but yeah roma roma give me give me your thoughts it's a well-made movie i like i said i had a number 10 it's just not my cup of tea you know me and you've made fun of me for this I can't handle black and white Which movies. I don't understand. And well, and what makes me mad about this movie? It was set in the seventies. There were movies that were in color in this. <laughs> Why does that matter? Why does that matter? I don't know. It just bugs me. I can't handle it. I'll never see Casablanca <laughs> ever. It's not even that you don't like old movies. You don't like black and white movies. So forget Clerks or Schindler's List. But Wizard of Oz, sure, the colored parts are good. Clerks was hard because it was black and white. I have not seen Schindler's List. Right, I I figured not. Um, let's put let's put a pin in that. We'll discuss we'll discuss your whole black and white version at a different date. But it continue. And I don't have a problem with movie with subtitles. This one though, I like. So I watch movies like when I'm watching movies or TV at home. I unless it's a sporting event, I have subtitles on. Okay. I think part of it is because my mom always had it on because most of the time she was reading a book, so she wanted to look up real quick and catch something. She okay. could. So I always have it on. So I don't have a problem with them. This it was they. For me, they spoke too soft. Oh, uh, okay. 
it, it was just weird. Like I, I could see the words on the screen, but it just, they spoke too soft that I wasn't able, I don't know what it was. I just couldn't, it's not like I'm going to understand what they're saying. I know I'm, I know I'm not, but like, I know there's words that I could have picked out because it's in Spanish and I took, I had 10 credit hours of Spanish. So I could have picked some words out. I just couldn't hear them that well. And I, I felt like the background music really? or background noise was overpowering the voices. And that just really bugged oh, me. Maybe that was just a TV setting. I didn't notice that at all. I mean, the whole thing is kind of subdued and like, they're not in your face at all. And actually I kind of felt that the camera, it was almost kind of a voyeuristic thing where the camera was just kind of watching these people. Like it didn't feel like a movie. It felt like it was almost filmed like a secret documentary or something like you were spying on these people. Maybe that was an issue with me. Like, and I just didn't realize that, that I just, I don't know. It just wasn't, it was just, I don't know, too much or too little for me. Yeah. And, and, and I, and I get it. I understand. I've heard multiple people. You were not the first to talk about like Roma's just kind of boring. Like, yeah, I guess it's good, but it's boring. And I even kind of get that it was I it was very slow, and even I was getting a little frustrated with how slow it was. But the emotional impact of it was still there, and I was tearing up at the end. And kind of a unique experience for me when I finished it. I was like, oh yeah, that was good. I see why people like it. But usually, what happens after I watch a movie is you almost even kind of even kind of like fades. So like Green Book, I'm like forgetting about already. And I feel like Roma's done this weird thing where like the next day and I was thinking about it, I liked it even more. And then like a week later, I liked it even more. Like it just, it wouldn't leave my mind. And I haven't thought about it since I watched and, and, it. And, and I get that. I get that. So, <laughs> but it, here, so, and even my parents were kind of, my dad like watched like a scene and was like, whatever, this is boring. And my mom, I don't, I don't, I think she maybe forced herself. She, she was kind of like you where she forced herself to kind of sit down and watch the whole thing. And she's like, ah, it's just not my thing. And it normally <laughs> wouldn't be my thing either, but I think, I don't know. Somehow it, it just swept me in and I can't even put a finger to it other than to say, basically this is one of the best movies of all time from a, just a cinematic filmmaking artwork standpoint this is one of the best movies ever made and i get thinking it's boring but i also think that's the thing to recognize if you thought roma was boring and you can't understand all the awards it's winning because it may win best picture what the people who are voting for it are seeing is one of the best movies ever made from a cinematic filmmaking standpoint alfonso coran made one of the best movies of all time and that's what people are seeing. And I think this movie will stand the test of time. And I think Bill Simmons will look and say, well, no, whatever. It's kind of boring. It won't last. I'm like, no, in a hundred years, people are going to be studying Roma and the artwork behind it. And I, I'm just kind of basically tipping my hat to acknowledging that greatness by putting it this high on my list. That's fair. <laughs> I disagree. I mean, I disagree. Okay. But... Okay. So that's, and that's, that's probably, unless you have anything else to add, uh, uh, that is about all we need to say on it where I recommend it, but I understand it's not for everybody. Mm-hmm. So Cody, number one, a star is born. Ah, such a good movie. All right, go. And again, that was my number six, I think. So yes, uh, I, I enjoyed it thoroughly as well. Oh, wait. Oh, I am not following. I okay, I'm not following along. I just was thinking since we hadn't talked about it, but that makes sense. So I forgot that it was your six. Okay. So yes, I dug I dug it, but it was your favorite movie of the year. And I know you play like you basically play the soundtrack on a loop now, right? Yeah, not as much recently, but it was playing in my car just continuously. 
So from November of 2017 until I saw this movie in December of 2018, the Taylor Swift CD was playing in my car, and then I made a switch over when uh, this movie nice, came out. Nice, So it was big enough to knock off T-Swift for a little bit. Yeah, which is a big deal. So I am a fan of Lady Gaga. I always have been. I, not her music... Not as much recently, but I loved her in American Horror Story. Oh, I didn't realize she was in that. She's in three seasons. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, and she I like American Horror Story a lot. I think it's an it's a great, great show. I'm scared to watch it. Uh, you probably would be. <laughs> so she plays Allie, the main character. Um, and then I'm not a huge Bradley Cooper fan, but he directs it and stars in it. And she he meets her. He's this older rock, rock country star, I guess, like an Eric Church type. Okay. So they meet and fall in love, and she becomes a pop star. She's a really good singer, but she doesn't think people are going to... She doesn't sing her own songs. She's a songwriter, but she won't sing her own songs. And she has talked to people in the industry before, and they said no because she has too big of a nose. Right, which also kind of echoes Lady Gaga's real-life story, right? Where basically... You never saw her face for how long? Right, because she was kind of always told, I'm sure, that she couldn't make it in the industry with kind of her unconventional look. Of course... She's very attractive. Yeah. And well, in the movie, she just basically doesn't wear makeup where every time you see her anywhere else, she has a ton of makeup on. And there was a point where I was kind of out on Gaga after I watched her documentary because like she broke her hip on stage one time and she's kind of addicted to painkillers. And so in the documentary, just I wasn't that impressed with her, but my opinion has changed. The scene where she, where her and Bradley Cooper sing "Shallow" for the first time, yes. is the greatest one. Of the, it's the best scene in any movie this year, in my and mind. And actually, and I agree. Even though I don't have it in my number six, I a hundred percent agree. That is the best scene from any movie this year. I am so excited to see them do it at the Oscars. Oh, well, I didn't think about that. Will they actually perform? You think? Yeah, because they're do- they're doing three songs, and it's one of them. It's that. Uh, then Kendrick Lamar is going to do the Black Panther song, and I forget the third one. Yeah, wow. No, so, and actually, and that, I mean, I'll, I'll let you kind of finish here, but that's the reason I don't have it higher is that comes, what, 30 minutes into the movie, and it's basically all downhill from there. So it's like, it's, it was like a sequel that doesn't live up to the original. They set the bar so high with that scene that the rest of the movie just couldn't live up to it. Like, that scene is amazing, and it's just this huge emotional payoff, and they actually lost me emotionally throughout the rest of the movie. Well, and like... When we talked about the movie afterwards, about how the first, I don't know, two-thirds in the movie were just so good. Right. And then the last third was kind of, I wouldn't call it a letdown because I still enjoyed it. I love seeing her play the final song on the piano before the funeral. Oh, one thing I was going to say, she performed Shallow at the Grammys last yeah. Sunday. Okay. It was just her because Bradley was at the BAFTAs. Right. And it was a little, she did it not as Ali, she did it as Gaga. Okay. Better or worse. Were, oh, way worse. Huh. She just did a, the kind of weird, like, jerky... She looked like a spider, like, the way she was moving. It was weird. But I'm excited to see them do it uh, in at the Oscars. So we kind of talked on, like, cringeworthy moments in movies. Yes. I've never cringed so hard at a movie than when uh, he got up on stage at the Grammys, when she was accepting the award. I felt like that was a little bit over the top. I thought so, too. I think you could have toned it down and still gotten the same thing across. I mean, he literally peed himself at the Grammys. Right. I thought that was a little too much. I I, I did too. And you, you felt for her, but you, you were already... I mean, just everyone knew he was obviously drunk and bumbling on stage 
why did we yeah. need to go that extra step and have him wet himself where it almost like this movie is not a comedy and mm-hmm. i think that was a step too far and yeah and again yeah just the whole the whole last the whole last third lost me emotionally and they had me early on so it's like it's rare for a movie to you get me i love the characters i love the relationship i'm bought in and then at some point you lose me and so <laughs> i i just and again i still still really dug the movie but yeah, it, it it definitely wasn't my number one, but I but I, I don't fault. So I also you listen to like I said the Bill Simmons podcast stuff, the Ringer stuff, and they seem perplexed that this movie isn't going to win Best Picture. And I don't understand it either. No, so here's 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 what it is, and I'm not saying I'd be mad if it won because I do think it was really good, but I do think it is the the weak final act combined with so the term I don't usually I usually don't mind it, but there's the term chewing the scenery for overacting. And there's definitely an argument to be made that Bradley Cooper is kind of over the top. It's very obvious that this is Bradley Cooper acting in a movie. He doesn't become <laughs> this guy. He's very heavy-handedly acting. And I still think it's, I kind of like those performances. I'm, I'm a big Daniel Day-Lewis fan, fan and he often uh, chews yeah. the scenery. So I think there's that. And just kind of the last week, third. So I think ultimately there's other movies that just stick the landing better. And, you know, it's obviously it's not an original story. This is like the fourth iteration of A Star is Born. So it's not like this is a brand new idea. Now, I think Bringy and Gaga and the whole first third, how it all plays out and they meet. That is just kind of a stroke of genius. And I think they nailed that. Sam Elliott is great. Yeah. But I, I definitely think it has some weaknesses that maybe some of these other contenders don't have. One thing that I really liked, I heard some. So I listen to Barstool Sports podcast a lot, and one of the guys on there, he loves this movie. And there's people saying like, "Well, this is like the third or fourth A Star Is Born. It's just a remake of something else. Why would we give it to them?" Well, you know what? The Patriots are always the best team in football. Here we why, go. Why, we still no, no. This he's also a Patriots fan, so this he's the one who gave this analogy. He's like, they're the best team every time. They're just, we can still give them the Super Bowl every time. If this is the best movie made this year, who cares if it's a remake? No, and, and I guess I'm not saying that is a reason yeah, no, not I know to you're not, the best but, picture. But yeah. I think that also, meaning I give, and I personally, if I were a voter, I give a lot of weight to originality. And mm-hmm. yes, the execution is top notch, but it yeah. does lose points for originality. So I'm not saying it's necessarily yeah. a knock, but it's uh, also not in its favor. Which mm-hmm. I guess is by definition a knock, but you know, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We good? Any any final thoughts? Yeah, uh, the everyone should watch it. And yeah, what's your number one? So it was on your list, so uh, the listeners may have figured it out. But I went with Black Klansman. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, I do think it is a completely original accomplishment that Spike Lee has done here. And of course, it's amazing. I didn't, it, when they said he was his first, his first ever best director or best picture nominee, I was like, what? That can't be right. That's right. So even though he's a basically household name director, he's never had a film nominated for best picture and he's never been uh, nominated for best director. And again, you, you saw this movie, I'm sure you like it too, based on a true story of the first ever black cop in Colorado Springs. And he kind of immediately just on a whim calls up the local chapter of the KKK and it's just kind of talking to them as if he's white, just kind of seeing what the process is to get, get into becoming a member and kind of convinces them that he should join or sorry. Yeah. And so he sends Adam driver in his stead because you know, John David Washington is, is a black guy and uh, would not probably fit well into the clan. So they get <laughs> Adam, Adam driver to go instead. And 
I kind of compared it in my my best picture write up to a Shakespearean thing where you think of all the Shakespearean comedies that have these misunderstandings and miscommunications and the tension of the scenario that are just kind of so intricately developed almost like you would see maybe over the course of a series and, and and Spike manages to do it with just within the context of you know our our 2 hour movie here and I don't know, so so well done. It's got the humor. It's got the tension of these, you know, KKK guys that are setting up some violent acts, and so you worry about the safety of our characters and who knows what and when they find it out, and just the tension. This, look, I guess, at the end of the day, it's this amazing combination of tension and humor that's very very hard to pull off. And you could argue maybe something last year like Three Billboards had it. And mm-hmm. I think we see a lot of that here in Black Klansman. And then how he manages to weave it all together with today's political environment in a way that I don't – you could argue is maybe a little heavy, heavy-handed, but I really don't think it is. I think he plays it subtle enough that, that it works well. And, of course, he does tie it in directly with footage from Charlottesville at the end of the movie. Yeah. And, yeah. and again, Spike has a, has a reputation for someone who can maybe be a little uh, – Oh, not preachy, but he doesn't shy away from giving you his opinion in real life. But mm-hmm. I, I don't think the movie feels overly preachy. I, I think it earns earns every moment. In, and again, I just, I just, I loved it. It was uh, my favorite movie of the year. Yeah. For me, a couple things. I, the thing that I most know Spike Lee for is sitting on the sideline at Knicks games. Correct. This, this was the first uh, Spike Lee movie I ever saw. Oh, okay. Hey, it made your top ten. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it might have been higher, except I hate Adam Driver. Oh, really? I can't stand him. He was in the TV show Girls on HBO. Which I've seen a few episodes of. And he's kind of a jerk in that. Oh, he's the worst possible human being in that show. <laughs> and I, ever since then, anything that has, I just can't, I can't stand him. So not necessarily because he's a bad actor, just because it's more because of Girls, you can't look at him right. Yeah, yeah. So okay, so you're saying this is your this is on you, not on Adam Driver. Yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> okay, it's that's just fair. His, char- his character on Girls, I can't get over it, and it's and part of it's probably because I don't know what else I've seen him in. You have, and you don't watch Star Wars, so you haven't seen the. No, no. he's in all the new Star Wars movies. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um. Any uh, so other thoughts on Black Klansman though? Uh, no, not really. I didn't realize that the main guy is Denzel Washington's son in real life. I knew he was on Bill Simmons' podcast. Oh, see, okay, I need to listen to that one. So I listened to Rewatchables. He had Denzel on there, and then a little bit later, he had John David. Okay, nice, nice. Yeah, so I guess that uh, that does kind of sum up our top ten of the year. Before we leave, though, I do want to just kind of quickly at least mention our honorable mention movies. So the ones that I did have Green Book that you had mentioned, and I also put Crazy Rich Asians was just a lot of fun. <laughs> That was one too. You talk about expectations. My expectations based on the previews were couldn't couldn't be lower. I thought the preview looked ridiculous, yeah. but the Rotten Tomatoes was high enough. And again, I had movie pass at the time, so I went and saw it and had a blast. It was actually really really good. First Man. It wasn't great, great, but I think it's worth watching. And it's one that kind of initially had some best picture buzz, but that kind of yeah. fell away. And you saw that one, didn't you? I did not because oh, okay. I, I was going to, and then I saw that it was falling out of the top 10, so I just didn't bother with it. I also had The Hate You Give, which is about a girl who has her 
best friend from childhood is gun is gunned down by the police in front of her because they thought he had a weapon, but it was just a hairbrush. And so obviously the kind of thing we've been seeing in the news all too often the last couple of years. But again, kind of like Black Klansman, it doesn't get preachy. It seems I can see from the trailers people thinking hate you're gonna give or the hate you give is gonna be very kind of one sided and anti cop or something like that. But it's really not. It does a good job of showing good and bad cops good and bad black people and everything in between. It's just kind of a cross section of real life. And it, and it acknowledges that the situation is complicated. It's, it's not as preachy or one-sided as I think the trailer might lead you to believe. Mm. So I do recommend it. Another one is Juliet naked, which did you see like high fidelity or fever pitch and all those? Uh, I've seen fever pitch. Isn't that the Red Sox one? Yes. Yes. So those are those two. So fever pitch, high fidelity and about a boy are all based on books by Nick Hornby. And Juliet Naked is just another movie based on a Nick Hornby book. So I, it was just it was just a fun romantic comedy. It's actually kind of funny. So there's the couple at the beginning, and the guy is obsessed with this, like, obscure 90s one-hit wonder who's gone into, like, hiding, and no one knows, like, where he is. And as, as the couple's splitting up, the girl starts talking to that rock star, played by Ethan Hawke. And they kind of start up a friendship online uh, through, you know, text and messenger and stuff. And so it's just kind of this, it's just kind of a funny romantic comedy with an interesting premise yeah. that the, you know, the one guy your ex-boyfriend is obsessed with, you're now friends with in real life. And uh, mm-hmm. just kind of the hilarity that comes with that. And then the movie that just missed my top 10 was Bo Burnham's Eighth Grade. Okay. And I don't know if you saw that one. I have not. Just does a great job of kind of awkwardly putting you in the skin of an eighth grader but it also just does a good job of hitting the emotional high points or hitting the uh the emotion of all that without getting uh i don't know it's it's awkward in all the right ways it's actually really really awkward and uncomfortable but in a way that feels super realistic it kind of reminded me of boyhood but if we just saw the eighth grade year from boyhood Mm, but but from a girl's perspective uh what 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 are what were your honorable mentions i guess for the other movies you saw my other (laughs) my other three movies and we've talked about them already beautiful boy oh right can you ever forgive me? Okay. And then I don't, this doesn't actually deserve an honorable mention because but you saw it. it's, yeah, Black Panther. Oh, okay. But you saw it. Okay. Yeah. Hey, so you did decide that you put Roma ahead of, uh, can you ever forgive me at least though, huh? Yes. <laughs> so I don't know if that says more about, can you ever forgive me than it does about Roma though? I mean, I realized Roma was a well-made movie, so I put it there. Gotcha. Gotcha. You had mentioned some questions you wanted to ask yes, me before we I leave. Have, yes. And then I have one other little segment before we leave. Okay, go. Okay, first question. We'll just kind of roll through these. What performance were you most impressed by? Uh, so acting performance of the year? Acting, yeah. And if we're again, you do not ask me these ahead of time, and the first thing that comes to my mind is hands down Lady Gaga. Good, that's my answer. That's my answer, too. Oh, that's the correct answer? <laughs> well, so, yes, that is the right one. Okay. And, and it, it goes back to the ex- ex- expectations. So I saw the previews look good, but you can still go either way. I'm, I'm not a music person. I don't really know what's going on in music. I knew she was a musician. Mm-hmm. I had no expectations of any kind that, that she could act on the level that she pulls off here. And, and it was just the first one that came to mind. If I sat and thought about it, I might come up with another performance. I mean, the, the, the lead in Roma is also very impressive. Or I, I, did, I, was, I did kind of go off on the guy in the rider who's not even an actor. But, yeah, I'll, I'll go with uh, Lady Gaga. Okay. I kind of thought she would be able to do it because I'd seen her act yeah, before. Right. See, I didn't even know she acted in anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think you already answered this, but what movie will be most remembered 10 years from now? 
And I would say it depends on who. So I, me personally, it might be Ballad of Buster true. Scruggs, but I do think critically it's Roma. And I, I don't know. What would you argue? Well, it's Star is Born for me. Okay. And, and uh, I, I think I could see it fading. Because it's it's one that I it's one that I could see myself putting on in the background, like I do Moulin Rouge. I want to hear the music, and if I catch little bits of it, I'll be fine. I gotcha, I gotcha. And I tend to put on more. I'll put it on like YouTube or uh, Netflix shows on the background instead. Number three, or what else? Right. Most overrated movie of the year. Black Panther. Yep. I I mean it's we we already talked about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, moment during the ceremony you're most looking forward to. Man, I hadn't really thought about it until you mentioned the, the that Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper will probably be performing "Shallow," which I, I actually didn't realize that that was the name of the song until everyone else has been referring to it. I would have oh, called yeah. I would have called it the "Tell Me Something Girl" song. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, actually, no. Actually, I'm not a, like I said. I'm not a big music guy, but I do love music in movies or with images. So, like, music by itself yeah. doesn't have the same impact on me as it does if you combine it with a moving image or just still image of some kind. Yeah. So I'm kind of curious about the Best Picture winner. This is one of the few years where we have no idea what's going to win Best Picture. It could be A Star is Born. It could be Black Panther. It could be Roma. Yeah. It could be uh, Green Book. They're talking is, uh, is a good possibility for an upset. So that'll be interesting to see. All right. Those are the question, all the questions. But I want to bang through the big six real quick. What we think will win and what we want to win of the ones that are nominated. Gotcha. So what we so of the categories, so you, okay, you go down one category at a time then. Okay. So best picture, I think Roma will win. I want A Star is Born to win. And even though I have Black Clansman as my number one, I don't feel like I necessarily, I don't feel that strongly that I feel like it has to win, but uh-huh. or, or that it should win. But I mean, yeah, I'll go with Black Clansman because it was my number one. As far as the will win, I'm probably leaning Roma, but I, not. I don't. I'm not that confident that it will win based on all the precursors. Yeah. It, it is really wide open, and I kind of feel like Green Book yeah. could sneak in and steal it. Yeah, and a, for, a foreign film has never won, right? Oh man, I think you might be right. I'm pretty sure I've heard that on. They've said that on the big picture. You're right. Times. I never thought about yeah. that. There was so what's interesting is Gandhi was actually in the foreign film category back in the early eighties, but it's not a foreign language film. The category actually used to be foreign <laughs> film, and so it was British, and so I think it actually won the best foreign film Oscar. But uh-huh. a foreign language film, no, has never won Best Picture, and okay. it's probably only been nominated a handful of times. Um, and then Best Director. So I think Kron will win hands down, even though he just won a few years ago for Gravity. I think because of what I've talked about, even if Roma doesn't win Best Picture. I think they're recognizing this as just, uh, what is the term they use? Auteur. This is just the ultimate achievement of an auteur director. And I think the Academy is going to recognize that. Yeah. Uh, as far as who I want to win, I actually have to pull up a list of who all's. I don't have a list of the nominations open. Uh, it's uh, Roma, The Favorite, Black Klansman, Vice, and Cold War, which you have not seen. Oh, shoot. That's right. And I'm kind of bummed about that. So I would say not McKay for this one, even though I was all about his last one. And I'm actually okay kind of with any of those, honestly. Like, I don't, other than McKay, I'd be disappointed if he won. Not because he's not good, just because I feel like the other three that I've seen are all are all far superior achievements. Cold War is kind of a wild card <laughs> because it's kind of came late onto the scene. Like, there's some people that are saying, there's almost a scenario where Roma wins Best Picture, but Cold War beats it for Best Foreign Film. Like, that's not an impossible <laughs> scenario. Yeah. So, okay, what's next? Well, I I need to go for director. Oh, sorry, my bad. <laughs> I'm a little easy. I'm a little egocentric. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, I think Coron will win. 
I want Bradley Cooper to win, even though he's not nominated. <laughs> you you want him to win on the right end? Yeah. Is that a thing? Do they have right ins? <laughs> I I don't think, I don't think they so. do. <laughs> I don't think they can because with like the weighted ballot and stuff. Correct. Anyways, it's, it's a ranked order win. performance. What is it, Sean Fennessy or whatever the ringer guy? You know, he even talks about he has a tweet that doesn't age well because, like, back in the fall, he was like, I don't see how Stars Born just doesn't sweep everything. And then, yeah, because it should. Right. And then Bradley doesn't even get nominated. But then what's crazier, yeah. at the DGAs, Bo Burnham, my guy for eighth grade, he won for best debut feature film directing uh, yeah. performance over oh, Cooper. Beat out. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, fun fact I used to, I owned uh, Bo Burnham's first CD. Nice. I I watched him on YouTube, but I did not own any CDs. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we'll go best actress now. So want and think. So it sounds like it seems like Coleman's gonna win. Like she's been winning everything. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. What? Oh, sorry. It's gonna be. Close, oh, you're right. It's, gonna, it's, it's, it's Glenn Close. So yeah, she's gonna win. So basically, everyone's saying it's her lifetime achievement award. Yes, which is so dumb. Yeah, and I, and I could kind of see you're right. So you're right. So Glenn Close is probably going to win for a movie that everyone says yeah. is nothing special or it's even a, worth I've watching. I've heard it's a terrible movie. Yeah, right. But she's I guess really good, and they're basically using this as an yeah. excuse to give her an Oscar. Yeah, which you could argue it's a kind of a I don't want to say it's a weak feel because it's 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 good, but there's not a standout. Oh my gosh, this person just won herself an Oscar performance. There's a lot of good performances. There there is one. <laughs> Lady Gaga. Yeah. Okay, fair. Uh, but you know, McCarthy's good. <laughs> the girl, the girl in Roma, whose name I've never even attempted to pronounce, uh, Yelitsa Apricio. Yelitsa Apricio. Would that be the hard C? Okay. I don't know. I yeah. think that's how they said it on the okay. podcast I've listened. So Coleman won the BAFTA and only won the SAG because they were in split categories, huh? Or not the SAG, the Golden Globe. Yeah. Okay. Who do you want to win? Oh, Lady Gaga. Duh. Yeah. Um, who I think will win is Glenn Close. Right. So yeah, I agree. Glenn Close is going to win apparently. And my want to, man, so I probably like Coleman the best, but I'm still kind of bitter about the whole three girls in favorite that are all just as good, and, and Emma Stone should probably be the lead. So, yeah. man, I'm going to go Melissa McCarthy as far as what I, who I want to win then. Okay. Just because. Just yeah. Okay. All right. Actor. Okay. This one is kind of up in the air, isn't it? I will lead on this one. Okay, go. Who is going to win? And does not deserve it at all, even though I haven't even seen the movie, is Rami Malik. Okay. He doesn't even sing in the movie. Yeah, I know. I know. He is he's good in it. Who you wanna know who did sing? Bradley Cooper. Ah, touche. So even the kid who is playing Elton John next year is singing in the movie. And that looks like a good show, yeah. Yeah, and like, I don't know, I think Elton John is a lot harder to pull off than I don't know, uh, Freddie Mercury. So I Probably agree just based on all the precursors that Rami Malek will probably win, but it would not be a surprise if Bale or Cooper won. Yeah. I think I think more Sidder Defoe would be surprises, but I think Cooper and Bale, everyone would be like, oh, okay, yeah. But Malek's probably the favorite. This one's kind of hard for me to pick who I want to win because, I mean, I think I would pick Bradley Cooper. I thought Christian Bale was awesome. I also I liked Viggo Mortensen in the movie. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's it's such a big performance. It's it's not so even though that was who that guy was, it's it's probably not yep. considered nuanced enough. Whereas mm-hmm. those other three we've talked about are all pretty nuanced. And I haven't seen at Eternity Gate at Eternity's Gate where Defoe plays Vincent Van Gogh. Oh, okay. 
So I would probably say I want Bale to win, actually. Even though I was okay. even though I was lukewarm on Vice, I would say I want Bale to win. I think he's just uh, doing some really good things on yeah. screen that are just just kind of hard for anybody else to keep up with. What else did you consider as a top six category? So these supportings. Yeah, I was just gonna do those two. So we'll go with actress first. My want to win, and actually who I think will win are the same. Regina King. Okay, okay, and I think you she probably is the favorite so i will say her as well but i would vote for emma stone and so rachel vice beat her at the bafta like we already talked about but i think i would yeah. pick emma stone who actually already won for did she win for birdman what did she win for i do not know i say hasn't emma stone won an oscar <laughs> did she for la la land or not oh maybe that was it no yeah it was la la land oh yeah that's the whole reason they announced La La Land is the best picture winner because they had the best actress card again. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole reason Warren Beatty was confused is because it said mm-hmm. Emma Stone, La La Land, for the best picture. Yeah. And so he's like, yeah. wait, what? Emma Stone didn't win best picture. <laughs> so he showed it yeah. to, oh, shoot, was it Faye Dunaway or whoever it was up there? And she just read the movie that was on the card thinking, oh, you silly man. And then it comes out that it was the mm-hmm. wrong card. But, yeah, so Emma Stone won for La La Land. Yeah. Um, I, would, I would pick Emma Stone again. Okay. And then supporting actor. And this is a tough one for me. Okay. I think Mahershala Ali will win. Okay. But I would be happy with him winning Sam Elliott or Sam Rockwell. Okay, because you hate Adam Driver. <laughs> yes. Richard E. Grant was good. He was good, but he, I don't know. His person kind of annoyed me. Gotcha, gotcha. That's true. The character was hard to like, and it's hard to vote for a performance of a character that's hard to like. I get that. And let's see. Yeah, I would agree that Mershahal Ali is probably going to win, but I think it's the Glenn Close thing where do they give Sam Elliott his Lifetime Achievement Oscar and Mershahal just won for Moonlight a couple years ago. Oh, yeah. So, man, I'll, I'll go on a limb. I'm going to say Sam Elliott wins, and I would probably vote for, man. So what's weird is none of these super, like they're all good, but none of them super stand out to me. And, and Marshall Hollow probably does the most, but I almost feel like that should be in the lead actor category. Yeah. Like, aren't they co-leads? Yeah. How is he less, how is he less than the, he's marginally less than the movie just because we see Vigo at home before the trip. Yeah, you start with, you start with Right. Him, so it is kind of from Vigo's point of view, but they're really co-leads. I would agree that I'm kind of surprised Driver's even nominated. I mean, it was good, but you got John David Washington wasn't nominated in lead. And, and and I think he carries the show way more. Mm-hmm. I mentioned I thought Rockwell. I love Sam Rockwell, but I thought he was maybe a little too over the top. So yeah, maybe maybe I vote Sam Elliott. I don't know. Huh. So the lifetime achievement isn't that typically someone who they've been nominated a couple times but just haven't won. Correct, which would be a knock against Elliott because is this his first nomination? Yeah, first nomination, yeah. Gotcha. So you're right as far as a lifetime. Achievement like, that's award. like that's why Glenn Close is getting hers this time. Right, she's been she, nominated a couple times. Yeah, I think the some podcast I was saying maybe like their sixth nomination or something and never won. Oh really? And you know, and going back decades, whereas Elliot, like he's said, never been nominated. This is her. This is her seventh actually. Okay, so it was six with no win. Yep. There's actually the counter argument though to why Mershahala, Mershala, I don't know how to say his name, uh, might actually be the favorite. Everyone thought the same thing when uh, Christoph Waltz basically won oh. like. He won like back-to-back supporting Oscars. They basically thought, well, there's no chance because he just won. And so he was like, everyone was predicting him as like fourth in the voting. And he ended up winning because they basically didn't care that they had just given him an Oscar and he won back-to-back. 
So I, you're right. How about we just give the award to the best performance every year? Regardless of how much you're in the movie? No, 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 no. I'm saying like, instead of doing these lifetime achievements, let's just give it to the whoever's the best. And if you've been nominated seven times, but you weren't the best, who cares? Be better. Correct. You're not wrong. And I think when people say that, it's kind of a misleading thing because it's not like they're getting together as a body and deciding to vote this way, which is why the same no, thing. No, I know. I know, but it's still worth mentioning. And the same thing when people talk about, you know, Oscars so white when they don't necessarily nominate enough diversity or then conversely when they seem to be, quote, making up for it by by nominating a lot of minorities. It's all just happening independently. And I think the Lifetime Achievement thing ends up being a tiebreaker that if enough voters see it as well there's no standout here so i'll go ahead and vote for glenn close and enough people do that it ends up being a de facto lifetime achievement award but yeah uh you're not wrong okay i think that's all i have okay so yes thanks for listening if you made it this far through and i do plan on doing a follow-up episode here with you cody we can mm-hmm. talk about some travel and sports stuff and you know you've gotten into coaching everything recently but we'll save that for uh, a later date and we will sign off for now goodbye everybody